Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. Good morning. It is great to be with you and um, looking forward to a little time in the Word this morning. I would ask if you have your Bibles, you open up to uh, Hebrews chapter 13. Um, Life is... uh, is unpredictable and difficult, uh, to say the least. It's um, oftentimes as we go through life and uh, we, 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 as believers, we, we look up to, to Christ, we, we are called to walk by faith and we engage in the things going on in life, but the difficulties that come our way oftentimes will leave us feeling alone and um, despondent and um, depressed and uh, desiring for something greater. And our, and our eyes and our minds as humans are attracted to so many different things. You think about in your own life, what are the things that kind of pull you or attract your attention? It could be the, a color of something. Um, it could be the, the smell of something. It could be the sight of something. It could be the sound of something that pulls you in a certain direction. And, and wanting to find familiarity and find uh, some sort of peace or or happiness, or contentment, we're, we're pulled in, in, in different directions. And oftentimes in life, it's almost like we're on a pendulum swinging from one thing to another, to another, to another, and back and forth, trying to find some sort of, some sort of grounding to move forward in a way that we feel like we're connected with God and we're connected with ourselves and with one another. And oftentimes this life becomes a little bit of a dance in which we are we're, we're, we're trying to find our footing and trying to find our way and, and, and trying to get through here and we're looking out around us and seeing at what other people are doing and, and how they're relating and coping. And, and, but, but trials have an amazing way of pulling our eyes away from the things that are important and, and going into some sort of a, a, of a set rhythm that, that, that where we find some kind of homeostasis or comfort or routine and and oftentimes that comfort or that routine or that homeostasis is heading in a direction that's contrary to where God wants us to go. And one of the things I love about the Word of God is this, that God never, God never sets apart and doesn't understand that this world is broken and that your lives are difficult and that there are trials and problems that come in. He never, he never stands apart from that and says, well, listen, isn't the world perfect because I created it? And God created the world in perfection. We know that. But sin entered in, and sin touched everything. Sin, sin was rampantly touching every, every person, um, as, as Brett mentioned from uh, Romans 3, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but sin has also touched every institution. Every institution of education, every institution of, of worship, every institution of, of society, of government, sin has touched it all. And, and we're called as believers to live within this paradigm, to live within this structure that's been profoundly affected by sin, and there's dangers in doing that. And the danger is this, that somehow we would become discouraged enough 
in our walk with Jesus that we would soon turn to other things to gain that satisfaction and that direction in life. And God is intimately aware of that. God is intimately aware of the capacity that we have as people to take our eyes off of the, off of the goal or the object of our faith, namely Jesus, and to put it onto something else, literally anything else. The enemy doesn't care in, in any way what you put your eyes on as long as it's not Jesus and it's not truth. And, and, and Satan uses any sort of tactic necessary to take our eyes off of that. But God understands the world that he created. He understands the effect of sin. He sent the remedy for sin, his only son, to die on the cross, to to die a substitutionary death in our place so that by faith we can look to him and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, guidance through life, eternal life, and we call that in summation the gospel. God has given us the gospel of Jesus Christ as his remedy but unfortunately, we're still, we're still trapped in this world that's governed by sin and we're called to live faithful lives. The danger being that we would turn our eyes off of, off of the Lord and onto anything else. And God understands. And so he gave us the book of Hebrews. I, it's not the only place in Scripture you find a very directive sermon related to how, do we, how are we supposed to live in a world tainted by sin, infiltrated by sin as believers. But the book of Hebrews does that probably more completely than any other book in the New Testament. In fact, if you're here today and, you've discour- and you're discouraged now, or you've ever been discouraged, I encourage you to read the book of Hebrews. And a lot of people think of the he- book of Hebrews as being, wow, there's a lot of Old Testament illusions and, and illustrations, and how does this apply to me today? And I understand that. But the book of Hebrews is really like a sermon. It's a sermon about this. It says Jesus is better. For those of you that are, that, are, that are drifting, for those that are caught in the traps and the tenets of repetitive religion or external type things, the book of Hebrews is for you. For those that are trying to understand what this life is about and how do I live victoriously, the book of Hebrews is for you. Because over and over and over again, the book of Hebrews points to Jesus. God, who at various times, in various ways, in times past, spoke to us through prophets, has in these last days spoken to us through Jesus Christ. That's how the book opens up. Whoa, we should lean forward in our seats and say, what saith the Lord about the rest of this? Because if Jesus has spoken to us in these last days, then we need to listen to what he said. And God cares about our experience in time. Listen. God isn't just concerned about getting you saved and and having you walk around with a halo on your head and telling everyone, I'm I'm saved and I'm going to heaven someday. God wants you experientially to experience the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, to have victory in this life, to be a light to those who are lost, but also to be involved in the discipleship of those fellow believers of yours that that are learning to grow in Christ as you are. God has a plan and desire for our lives. That's why he doesn't take us to heaven the moment we get saved. When that be something, he's like, hey, you know, got saved, boom, in heaven. Uh, no, God has a purpose for us here. And that purpose is to, is to testify to the glory of God, the indwelling power of the Spirit and the work of Christ in saving us. That's why God keeps you here. 
It's not so you could build a name for yourself. It's not so you can build a religious institution and, and th- that looks powerful and majestic. It's to build, to bring glory to God through his work in our lives. And oftentimes the issues of life begin to affect that. And in this letter to the Hebrews, the writer says that Jesus is better than all of this stuff that you see. Jesus is better than the angels. That's Hebrews chapter 1. And on Hebrews, or Jesus is better than, uh, than Moses. He's better than Melchizedek, the high priest. Jesus is better than, than all the institutions of sacrifice that were, that were there to point to him, to his ultimate sacrifice. Jesus is better than all. And, and when, there's, when you're going through troubles and str- struggles for the, for, the, for the people of the Hebrews, there's a tendency... There was a tendency that they would revert back to that religion that they'd followed before. And the writer of Hebrews said, don't do it. Jesus is enough. He's everything. He's the fullness of everything that God had intended through all of those sacrifices, through all the prophets, through all the angels. Jesus is better than all of those. He's all you need. He not only provides an atonement for sin, but he provides a satisfaction, the propitiation the satisfaction of God through his blood sacrifice. That God is, is propitiated, he's satisfied with what Jesus has done. You don't need to go through rituals and, and have religion in your lives to satisfy God, to please God. It's by faith in Jesus Christ alone, through the grace of God alone, the sufficiency of his atoning sacrifice that God reckons or counts righteousness to us. It's by that same reception of that by faith that we're given the Holy Spirit. And he says, that's enough. You don't need the other things. Don't let your eyes become distracted in this life because of the problems and the trials and the struggles, but keep your focus on Christ. That's easy to say, but it's, it's not easy to do because the world is competing for your attention and, and, and for things that, that, are, that, are, that they're saying that you need to have um, satisfaction. And the writer of Hebrews says, no, you need Jesus and Jesus alone. And so all through the book of Hebrews, in fact, pop back to chapter 12 for just a second. I'll go back to chapter 11, talk about the importance of faith. Faith, verse 1 of Hebrews 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Ponder that for a little bit. The substance of things hoped for and faith is the evidence, the proof of things that you cannot see are actually true. Jesus is eternal life that he gives you that you cannot see are actually true and they're appropriated by faith. By faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are visible or seen are not made of things which are visible. We see things, the things that we see, they were not made of things you see. How? How did that happen? They were, they were made by God speaking them into existence. And, and that, that whole application then becomes we, we live by faith. We live a life on the basis of faith. Chapter 12. What an incredible chapter in the Bible. What a beautiful place. How then are we supposed to live this life. Therefore, seeing we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us 
set aside all the things that distract our attention in this life and let us look unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and despised the shame and is now set down at the right hand of God. The work is done. It's over. It's complete. And we sit down, Jesus is set down, and we are gathered around and we look unto him as, an, as, an, as a basis of faith in this life. That's how we do life. We look unto Jesus. And uh, chapter 12, verse 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down the feeble knees. The writer of Hebrews in no way is assuming that life is easy. In fact, just the opposite. Life's hard. Not only are you distracted, but there's problems in life. And, and he's calling us to build up scaffolding around other people. Build up scaffolding around the weak that are susceptible to, 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 to stray. Build up and support those that are falling. Don't run them over. That's, that's um, evolutionary thought. The survival of the fittest is, ah, you know what, those that are weak, let's just run them over. And I'm telling you what, in this community, we have a tendency to do that, don't we? We do. We look at people who don't come from the right family, who don't have the right pedigree, and we, and we malign them and push them to the side. Because, and, and when we do that, that is evolutionary thought that's taken over, and Jesus says it's just the opposite. That's not the way the economy of God works. That's not the way the kingdom of Christ works. We support the weak. We build up those that are struggling. We hold them up. We support them. We encourage them. We move them on. We don't run them over. We don't malign them and push them to the side. It doesn't mean you allow them to run you over. Verse 14 of chapter 12, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up causes trouble, and by this many become defiled. And I'm telling you what, it spreads like wildfire, doesn't it? It absolutely does. And we have to be aware of that. We have to be aware and saying, you know what, in this life it's hard, and God doesn't call us to turn our head the other way. He calls us to jump in with both feet and get involved. And... Um, we continue on. Why? Because God cares. Listen, God cares about our daily experience. God cares about the testimony of the church. Not this church. I'm talking the universal church. He cares about the testimony. He cares about the testimony of this church too. But I'm talking about for the body that represents those who are born again. He cares about that. We have to go back to the Word of God. We have to rest upon the revealed truth of God's Word. We have to build our lives upon that foundation because anything else is going to be the wrong expression of what God intends. There is sufficiency in Jesus. And he's warning the Hebrew people, don't go there. Don't have that tendency to go there. Chapter 12, verse 18. I hope we get to chapter 13. Um... For you have, don't you just love this? Hold on to your seats, people. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that may be burned with fire. This is where the law came from. This is, to, this is a reference to what happened in the book of Exodus when Moses received the law. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they cannot endure that was commanded. Verse 21, And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I'm exceedingly afraid and trembling. 
there's this idea somehow that, that, that biblical Christianity is this big hammer that God is holding. He's just ready to smash you if you do anything wrong. Listen, believer, you better buck it up or I'm going to smash you like a rock. Religion has a way of doing that. It promotes obedience by threat. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, you have not come to the mountain that can be touched by fire. That was dark and the one that Moses said, you are exceedingly and I'm exceedingly and terribly afraid. You have not come to that kind of religion, but what have you come to? He tells us. But you've come to Mount Zion. And you've come to the city of God and the heavenly Jerusalem. To an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Wow. That's you. Friend, that's you. You're not bounded by religion but you're bonded to Christ. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, this, this theological truth that I'm talking about makes a difference today. He's not saying, don't be, don't be trapped in religion. Don't be trapped in the externals. I've got to do this and this and this, or somebody's not going to like the way I look, or my, my yard's got to be mowed in a certain way, or this is going to happen. And I know there's a lot of pressures. There are. I get it. I can drive into Henderson. I remember the first time I drove here. I was like, wow, this is incredible. I think I died and went to paradise. Then I spent five minutes here, right? You're laughing. You know, you're rumbling. You know. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Because we have a way of building the external things to make things look good, and inside they're crumbling, and we don't know what to do with it. Hebrews is the answer to that. Jesus is the answer to that. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, hold on to Jesus. Let go of the religious requirements. Hold on to Jesus and the Word of God. Let, that, let the Spirit of God drive your lives. Verse 25, see that you not refuse Him who speaks. For if they did not escape Him who refused Him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. <laughs> In other words, the same God who spoke to Moses on earth, the same God who speaks to us now through the Spirit. And if you think that you're going to escape, that they were going to escape, didn't escape then, how do you think that we're going to escape now without Jesus? This is a call. This is really a call to anyone who would who has stopped short of putting their trust in Jesus as their Savior. Listen, if you're, if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, and the Spirit of God is tugging on your heart now to say, you know what, I've never really put my trust and hope in Jesus alone. I want you to just talk to me. Don't, don't, don't walk out of here with, a, with unknowing and being unsure about your, the eternal destiny of your soul. The moment we die, we're, we're going to be alive and awake somewhere, either in heaven with Jesus or in hell separated from God forever. It, but we're going to be alive and awake and aware and, 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 and fully responsive. We think we're alive and awake now. We're, we are not. We are like we see in a mirror. Scripture says dimly, one day face to face. Don't, 
God gives us the privilege of knowing our eternal destiny. In fact, John would write to the, to the letters in 1 John, this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He that has a Son has life. And he that has not the Son of God has not life. These things have I written unto you that believe, believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. And that you may believe, Greek tense, keep believing in the name of the Son of God. God cares about our faith now in this life to continue to believe that Jesus is sufficient. Is there a possibility in life that we can come to a point of saying, I just don't even know anymore. He's warning the Hebrews of that. He says, don't go there. Don't go there. Jesus is enough. Let's go to chapter 13. Practical things. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers by doing so. Some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners. Verse 4, marriage is honorable among all. Verse 5, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Sunday school this morning we talked about a little bit about the importance of the presence of God and how that makes a difference in our lives. Literally hundreds and hundreds of times in the, in the Bible we are reminded of the presence of God. Why? Wouldn't it be just enough? I mean, we're doctrinal believers. Couldn't he just say at one time, God is with you? And it'd still be just as true, wouldn't it? Why does the Bible remind us over hundreds and hundreds of times that God is with us presently? Because we forget. We do. Because the pressures of this world and this life are so great, God has to, and, and we're so weak, God has to continually remind us over and over and over and over and over again. You parents think you get worn out telling your kids things. How many times do I have to tell you? Well, guess what? How many times does God have to tell you that he is with you and me over and over again? I need it. I need it. Four months ago, you know, sitting in a gurney on a helicopter flying to Lincoln. Question, God, are you with me? Are you here? Are you, are you here? Yeah, I'm here. You're fine. I'm here. God is here, and we need the reminder of it. And so he reminds the Hebrews, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? That's the point. Really. So you, it, what happens if you choose to live for Christ today? What happens if you say, you know what, <laughs> I'm tired of trying to impress people. I'm just going to walk by faith and live for Christ. I'm going I'm to live apart from what this community, this society, this world wants to, fo- to mold me into. I'm going to live for Jesus. What would happen? What's man going to do to you? <laughs> if, if Jesus has you firmly in his grip, question, who can pry you from that? Turn back with me to Romans chapter 8 for just a second. I'm just going to throw this in free today. Um, Romans 8, we love this promise. It's on your refrigerator. And we know all things work together for good. To those that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. We love that. For whom he foreknew, those he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And those he foreknew, oh, excuse me, those he predestined, he also called, and who, those he called, 
he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. In other words, the Apostle Paul says, you know what, God's got this whole thing wrapped up. He has called you through the gospel. You've responded by faith. He has saved you. He has justified you. He has sanctified you, and he's also glorified you. He says, you're already in heaven. That's what Romans 8 says. In the, in the original languages, he says, you are glorified, past tense, aorist verb. It's something that happened in the past, period, done, over. Wait a second. How many of you are in heaven right now? How many of you are in heaven right now from God's eternal perspective who sits past, present, and future at the same time? Every believer, you're already there. That's why the Word of God can say you're already glorified. It's already happened from God's... You're already in heaven. You made it. You crossed the finish line. You're there. The chopper landed. Paul says, Whoa. What shall we say to these things? That's the next verse. What shall we say to these things? To what? The fact that we're already in heaven. If God be for us, who can be against us? Don't you love that? Bring out the best shot. Go ahead. Take your best shot. God's on my side. Go ahead and give me your best shot. Launch an assault. Go ahead. Tell me my religion isn't good. Go ahead. God's for me. Who can be against me? Who can stand against God? I mean, it's the ludicrousy of, of, of even thinking that someone could say anything about your faith about the work of Jesus and your hope in Him alone. And that's it. Well, that's not all. He would not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. How shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Paul asks five rhetorical questions that we already know the answers to. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died and furthermore is risen, who makes intercession at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Wow. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? Yet in all these things, verse 37, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principality, nor things present, nor things to come, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul, like a blow of a, a sledgehammer, he cries out, you know, there is no opposition, there is no limitation, there is no accusation, there is no condemnation, there is no separation. Go ahead. Go ahead and take your shot at Christianity. Go ahead and take your shot at Jesus. Is Jesus sufficient? You better, you better bank your eternal destiny on, on that. And that's what he's telling the, the, the Hebrews here. Don't turn back to the former way of religion. Don't turn back to the way you live. Hold on. Hold on. Look in verse 10. Here we go. We have an altar We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. Okay, that's a little bit wordy, isn't it? That's a lot of Old Testament illusion. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. Those that serve the tabernacle, it's reference to to um, to the sin offering. And they would make atonement for their own sins in the Day of Atonement. 
and by, by sacrificing a ram, and then that ram would be taken, or that bull would be taken out, and it would be burned outside of the camp on this altar. And then the goat would be sacrificed, and it would be taken out. One would be turned loose on the Day of Atonement. The other one would be burned outside of the camp. And, and, and Paul says those people who were, who were gone back to religion, those people who, were, who have turned away from Jesus or not turned to Jesus, don't have a right. They don't have a right to eat from the altar of Christ. They don't have a right to eat the flesh that gives eternal life from the bread of life that comes down from heaven. That's the illusion that Jesus has given. He says, really, he says, Jesus is the only way. There's, a, there's two altars. There's an altar of works, an altar of religion, and there's an altar of Christ. There's an altar of Christianity. And those that, 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 that serve over here have no right to eat over here. This is not about communion. This is not about that. The Roman Catholics try to turn that into that, this verse into that. You can't have communion if you're not part. That's not about that. This is about the sufficiency of Jesus. If you do not believe Jesus is sufficient as your only Savior, then you can't partake of what he has to offer. And we've already, he spent the entire book talking about everything that Jesus offers. He says those people that have rejected Jesus can't partake of the things that Jesus offers. There's not two ways to heaven. No, all roads don't go up the same mountain. Sorry. That's not found in the Word of God. It's found in contemporary secular thought. Yeah, as long as you're religious, it's all good. My, if you believe that, just cut, pull, pull the book of Hebrews out. Just throw it away. It's not going to change it, but you're not going to be interested in what it has to say. The book of Hebrews is explaining why Jesus is better. Not only why Jesus is better, but why he's now the only sacrifice for sin. There's only one, and it's him. There's two altars in this passage. We have an altar that's Jesus. I believe that's the cross, the cross of Christ, from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. That's the Day of Atonement. You can put down Leviticus chapter 16. You can read it after lunch. You better read it after you take, wake up from your nap. It can be a little bit heavy. But you can read Leviticus 16 and learn about the Day of Atonement. Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside of the gate. And so we see in here, this altar is a place of sacrifice, and there are two altars in view. One is the altar of religion, and here it's legalistic Judaism. It's the altar of dead sacrificial animals. And the other altar is the altar of the cross. It's a place where the body of Jesus was broken. The blood of Jesus was spilt. And there are two types of blood. The blood of bulls and goats and the blood of Jesus. There's a distinction that's being drawn up in here. There are two types of offerings here. They're talking about the bulls and Jesus. There are two high priests pictured here. Man, the high priest that goes in to the, into the Holy of Holies and sprinkles the blood, the other high priest is Jesus. And there's two outcomes. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, 
suffered outside the gate. There's two outcomes. One is religion, and the other is relationship. That's what we have. This is the remedy. Listen, this is the remedy that God has given for the difficulties that we face in life. This is the remedy that God has given for the, for the, the pulling in our lives that takes our eyes off of Jesus and onto something else. This is the remedy. He says you can either have religion or you can have Jesus. How does one respond to this? I believe there are three definitive statements here about the Christian life. The first one is in verse 13. If you want three points to write down, here they are. The first point is this. Verse 13, therefore, because of this, therefore let us go forth to him outside the camp bearing his reproach. Paul says, or excuse me, the writer of Hebrews, which is probably Paul, says, let us go forth to Jesus, to him, outside of the camp. Here's the point. I will pursue Christ and not religion. This is a definitive statement from the Scriptures. This is a choice that God asks us to make on the basis of of what he's writing down here. I need to intentionally pursue Christ. The camp religion didn't like Jesus, and they still don't. That's why religion is always offering something to the work of Christ. Religion is Jesus plus. Biblical Christianity is Jesus alone. Religion emphasizes the external things in life. Biblical Christianity, the internal things. Jesus, or Jesus says, do. I did, or, uh, it's done. I did it all. And religion says, do. Religion says, try your best. And Jesus says, trust in Christ. There's a distinction that's drawn there. And we have to, as followers of Christ, have to pursue Him, not religion. I will pursue Christ, not religion. <coughs> The Bible says that they hated Jesus without a cause, and they still do. We bear his reproach. John 15, 24, Jesus said, If I had done among, not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin, but now they have seen and also hated both me and my Father. John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19, If the world hates you, speaking to you, the world hates you, know that it hated me, these are the words of Jesus, before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, but I've chosen you out of this world, therefore the world hates you. In other words, you have a different home. I know, right? Wake-up call. This place ain't our home, okay? This is not our eternal home. You're just passing through. And someday there will be a funeral for all of us. And all the things that we accumulated on this earth, none of it are going to go with us. We're passing through. But we live as though somehow these are, these are our eternal possessions. They're not. You're a steward. You care for something that God has entrusted to you. Everything belongs to him. Nothing belongs to us. We simply are caretakers, stewards of it. And God turns upside down the thinking of the world system. Biblical Christianity and God's economy is so different from what the world talks about. Let me give you a couple things here. We're still on number one. These are subpoints under number one. Okay, subpoint A, wholeness is found through brokenness. 
I've talked about this, some of this last time I was with you, that wholeness is found in brokenness. God's economy is upside down. Some call it the inside out or kingdom of God. But wholeness is found through brokenness. Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices pleasing to God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. God detests haughtiness and, and a broken spirit and a broken heart are things that, that God does not despise. Number, number B, letter B, strength is found in weakness. Strength is found in weakness. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will gladly boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Or 1 Corinthians 1, 27, God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Oh, and we're so attracted to things we think are mighty. Look at that person. They have influence and power. I want to be like them. I want to look like them. I want to act like them. I want to talk like them. Paul says futility. Just futile. Letter C. Life is found in death. That's upside down. That's an upside down world. That's not, these are not principles the world teaches. These are principles the word of God teaches. Life is found in death. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life. He that believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then the question of the universe, believest thou this? <laughs> Do you believe this? That's the question of the day. Do we believe that if we believe in Jesus, we will never die and we'll have life? We die in him? Galatians 2, 20, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Letter D, A, B, C, D. Leadership is found in serving. Wait a second. That's not what the world says. Leadership is found in power and influence and control, right? No, not according to the word of God. Leadership is found in serving. Yet it shall not be so among you. Those are five of the most important words in, in, in leadership. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And who de- whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Wow. Next one. Power is found in humility. Power is found in humility. Proverbs 22.4. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Power is found in humility. Riches and honor and life are found in humility. And the last one, wisdom is found in foolishness. Colossians 1.27, God has chosen the foolish things of the world, I read this before, to put to shame the wise. 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, that was 1 Corinthians 1.27, not Colossians 1.27. 1 Corinthians 4.10, we are fools for Christ's sake. Verse 11, to this very hour we go hungry and thirsty and we are in rags and we are brutally treated and we are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When, when we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. 
we have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world right at this moment. Isn't that a great model of ministry? We should, we should say, what's your goal in ministry? To be the scum of the earth. That's what I am. That's what Paul said he was. I'm the scum of the earth. Poorly treated because wisdom is found in foolishness. And there is more in Scripture, but the idea is to accentuate the upside-down kingdom of God. Number two. Number two. Look in verse 14 of Hebrews 13. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Let us go forth to Jesus outside of the camp, bearing his approach, reproach. For here, that is, in the camp of religion, in the camp of the place where we take our eyes off of Jesus and put them onto anything else, here we have no continuing city. This earth is not a continuing city. This earth is not an eternal city. Your home is not an eternal home. Your farm is not an eternal farm. Your state is not an eternal state. It's not here. We have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. What a beautiful perspective that he gives us when we're tempted to think that this is it. Number two, this world is not my home. This is a conclusion we draw from the entire book of Hebrews. This world isn't my home. It's not your home. This world is temporary. I'm willing to sacrifice glory in this present life for the glory which is to come. Peter says that we're pilgrims and sojourners in chapter 2, verse 11. Philippians 3.20, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.1, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. And set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Philippians 1.23, For I am hard-pressed between the, true, between the two, choosing, choosing, having a desire to, to, be, to, to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. 1 John 2.15 verse, to verse 17. What a, what a great passage. Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world, the love of the Father. Excuse me. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. What a beautiful reminder that this world's not your home. We, we expect some sort of satisfaction from attaining things in this life. And, and there's, there's, a, there's this temporary satisfaction when we, when, we, when we set goals and we meet those things. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the things that define you. What are the things that determine whether, you're, whether, you're, whether you've made it or not? Do you have to have a certain level of this or a certain level of that? The writer of Hebrews says, listen, you have Jesus. If you have Jesus, you have it all. What a beautiful picture of the sufficiency of Christ in our lives. And finally, number three. This is it. This is where we land the, the ship. I will... I will worship God. I will worship God. I'll pursue Christ, not a religion. This world is not my home. 
and I will worship God. Look at verse 15. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. There is an altar or a place of sacrifice that remains in the Christian life. There is. It's a beautiful place that he, that he brings us up after talking about the insufficiency of the altar of religion in the world and the sufficiency of the cross. He says, oh, by the way, you want a sacrifice? There's a sacrifice. Here's a sacrifice. Worship. Worship. Gather together and worship. Lift up your voice and praise God. And by the way, these words here that, that are used here, it, it's really about testimony. Offer a testimony to God. You know, we, we oftentimes give affirming testimonies to people. Like, this guy, I know a guy, he's amazing. He's an incredible guy. And, and he can do this and this and this. And, and there's another guy I know. He's, and that's fine. But you know, there's, all, there's limitations to those. The guy can be really good, but he's not great. Or he can be a great guy, but he's not perfect. He can be really, really good, but he's not the best. The writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, God God alone is capable of receiving those superlatives. There's no words out of, listen, there's no words out of your mouth that are going to overdo who God is. You are not going to express in a way, it's really, really not true about God. No, you're not. That's impossible. That's what he's saying there. Let this be the sacrifice. Let it go completely down. Let the, let the praise from your lips bring glory to God. The sacrifice bring glory to his name. They're praising God. And there are really three sacrifices that are mentioned in in Scripture. That of our lips, that of our hands, which is in the next verse, verse 16. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Sacrifice of our lips, the sacrifice of our hands. And in Romans 12, the sacrifice of our lives. The sacrifice of your very life. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable acts of service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God calls you in the face of trials and temptations. Don't be distracted. Don't be distracted. Choose the altar and seek Jesus outside of the camp. Because for you and I, we will either die in our devotion to religion or we'll die in our devotion to Christ. You'll either die in this life seeking the things which are going to fill your own life and make you look good, or you will die in your devotion to Christ, bringing glory to Him. It's a choice all of us have to make. We will either die in our devotion to religion, or we'll die in our devotion to Christ. I pray that you'll walk with Jesus and serve him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for loving us where we are. Thank you, Father, that you know that we are weak and feeble, that we're tempted by sin, and that you bring us opportunities to escape that. So, Father, glorify yourself in our lives. Help us to seek Jesus outside the camp, gladly bearing the reproach, knowing that Jesus died outside the gates of Jerusalem and we will die outside the gates of religion, we'll die outside the gates of self. 
we will die in our devotion to you. Help us, Lord, to see you glorified through all of this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at luke at livinghopehenderson.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.